BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today, we're going to be talking about Richard Land. We're going to be talking about the Christian Post, and we're going to be talking about their continued shilling for Ukraine and hailing Zelensky as the next Churchill. We're going to be talking about that uh, dumpster fire of an article written by Richard Land. And before we get to that, uh, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering commentary ministry. You can support it over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join on our Patreon-like system. Otherwise, Hit the like button and subscribe if you are new. That helps out the channel a lot. So Richard Land, let's talk about Richard Land for a second. When you talk about the Southern Baptist Convention having a liberal drift, it really starts with Richard Land, in my opinion, because Richard Land, in my opinion, was always bad. He was always bad. He was the longtime head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which and he was succeeded by Russell Moore. There's a big hint for you, who was then succeeded by Brent Leatherwood, the current head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. So all three of these men were bad. All three of them. And Richard Land once counseled a woman or counseled a married couple to get an abortion on the word of a ER doctor, which is highly dubious to anyone who understands pregnancy. Uh, but... Moreover, and perhaps more relatedly, the World Economic Forum and the ERLC go way back. This is an article I wrote uh, six months ago, or over six months ago, last June, and it talks about uh, Richard Land going to the World Economic Forum, which, by the way, is next week. So we might have some content on the World Economic Forum next week, but... This just does shine a light on why Richard Land is so invested in Ukraine, because this is the World Economic Forum's proxy war. They are having a proxy war. It's really World War III. What's, what's going on is World War III, because Russia is fighting all of NATO for Ukraine, allegedly. It's for Ukraine, but it's really for the World Economic Forum, because Ukraine is not a free country. They're not fighting to be a free country. And, uh, you know, they're, they're also the baddies here. And really the main baddies. So we're going to look at this article about Ukraine. It's written by Richard Land, an important litmus test for Western civilization. And the article starts off with uh, basically Richard Land having a neocon, uh, you know, 
foreign policy view. He hasn't updated his uh, foreign policy in like 30 years, and it shows. So he says the stakes could not be higher for the future of Western civilization than what is currently transpiring in Ukraine. So let's just pause for a second. What about what's going on in uh, Brazil? How, you know, the, the turmoil in Brazil? What about the 2020 election? What about uh, how we just gave and bent over for tyranny the last three years? What about that? Those, those stakes are actually higher for than Ukraine. U- Ukraine actually means nothing for the rest of Western civilization. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell, really. And next paragraph goes on to say, Vladimir Putin, the Russian oligarch and former KGB colonel, uh, who has said the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century was the collapse of the evil empire, which is not the same quote. He's mixing quotes here, which isn't exactly concise writing. Of the old Soviet Union has brutally invaded the sovereign country of Ukraine. Now, again... He, he's mixing evil empire in, but yeah, the context for Putin's quotes is more of a lament, but the Ukraine is not a sovereign nation. They are fighting to join the European Union, which means that you're not a sovereign nation. If you're in the European Union, you're not a sovereign country. The European Union can tell you, can literally dictate terms to you on how you tax, how you other regulations and uh, how your internet regulations work. You're not a sovereign country if you're in the European Union. That's why the UK left. They they got their independence in 2016. Uh, so with that said, uh, let's be clear. And he's doing the whole Obama line. Let me be clear. That That's an Obama thing. Putin cannot fulfill his life goal of reconstructing the Russian Empire, for which much of the 20th century masqueraded as the USSR, without incorporating Ukraine as an integral part of the Russian state. First of all, the Soviets crushed the Russian Empire. They didn't rebuild the Russian Empire. They crushed it. So, not good on history here. And also, if Putin is the leader of Russia, that's in the Russian interest. He has failed to communicate why Ukraine is, first of all, part of Western civilization. You know, they they would probably fall on the dividing line of the East. Because, historically speaking, West versus East has typically, actually, okay, let's do post-fall of Rome. West versus East has typically been a division between the Latin church and the Eastern church. That is typically what divides Eastern and Western Europe, the Latin church and the Eastern church. That is why Hungary is technically part of the West. Uh, and Ukraine is East. Because, and Poland is West. Because the Eastern, the Latin church and the Eastern church had a split. So that is really what dictates what is Eastern Europe versus Western Europe. Europe, which has largely been synonymous with Western civilization. So Ukraine is not actually part of Western civilization. And they never have been. 
Ukraine is very different from Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia, very tyrannical countries, especially Lithuania, if you've seen them the last three years, and other former Eastern Bloc post-World War II satellite states, Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, etc. Uh, Hungary does not support Ukraine in this war, by the way. Uh, Ukrainians are the least Slavic ethnic cousins of Russians. In fact, Putin and the Russians are wrong when they said that Ukraine is not really a nation, and it has been part of the part and is really part of Russia. The fake nation, if there was one, was the Soviet Union, which was an attempt to recreate the Russian Empire under the guise of an emergent communist ideology. When the bankrupt ideology finally collapsed in 1991, 15 separate historical nations re-emerged, including Russia and Ukraine. Now, again, not the same empire. It's kind of different. Uh, uh, And then we got to look to the part where when has Ukraine ever really been an independent nation? To me, the most they've been independent is the fact that I believe that the Eastern Church had like a separate, I don't want to call it denomination, but, you know, an evangelical understanding is... You know, there's different Eastern Orthodox denominations. Uh, and Ukraine, I believe, has had an Eastern Orthodox church branch or denomination uh, for hundreds of years. So that's pretty much the oldest of Ukraine having an, a distinct national identity from Russia. Otherwise, Kiev was the first Russian capital. And I believe it changed because Kiev got sacked and Moscow became a more convenient base of operations. And obviously a lot of Khanates came and went along the Russian and Ukrainian history. There's a lot of uh, uh, steppe civilizations invading and just ruling for centuries. That That's history. So uh, moving on. And then, you know, he wants to dig at the Soviet Union. I don't blame him. The problem is the Soviet Union is dead and the evil empire we were fighting in the Cold War is now us. That's the issue here. That's the scary part here. It's not Russia. China to some degree, but you know who colluded with the Chinese to create a bioweapon in the lab that shocked the whole world? That was America. That was uh, uh, Francis Collins. That was Anthony Fauci. So, yeah. Who's the evil empire? Uh, Let's see. After being brutally subjugated by the USSR for 69 years, including the infamous created famine of 1932-1933, in which millions of Ukrainian peasants were deliberately starved to death on uh, December 1st, 1991, the Soviet Union ceased to exist. And 90% of Ukrainian voters cast their votes for independence from Russia. Okay, that's the collapse of the Soviet Union. Worth noting that uh, the fall of Ukraine during the Soviet War, the Russian Civil War, the Russian-Soviet Revolution, was uh, Russians had organized the defense of Ukraine, and it was called like South Russia. It was a quasi-military state led by Pyotr or Peter Wrangel. So, 
little history lesson for you, but he was pretty based. He was an anti-communist based anti-Bolshevik and he operated in what is currently Ukraine slash Russia. And then I believe it looped around through Georgia. So, you know, that was like the last vestige of U- Ukrainian independence from the Soviet Union, I believe. There could have been some like intermediate state in between. But these little states that operated in Ukraine did not last long post the start and the fall of the Russian Empire. Just, again, more history for you because Richard Land doesn't know this stuff. Uh, it's interesting to note that polling shows that 90% of voters voted for independence in Ukraine nationwide. Almost 77% of voters supported independence in the Russian majority Donetsk. Even in the heavily Russian Crimea, 59% voted for independence. This would lead one to believe that even Ukraine's ethnic Russians preferred Ukrainian freedom to uh, to reunification with Mother Russia under Vladimir Putin, which he's conflating two things here. Again, because Richard Land doesn't know history. Vladimir Putin didn't take over the take over the Russian Federation after the directly after the fall of the Soviet Union. That's not who Vladimir that's not when Vladimir Putin took over. I believe he took over early 2000s or very late 1990s. So you have like 7 plus years in between that uh where uh Yeltsin I believe was president of Russia, maybe someone else was before him. I'm a little rusty on that part, but He's trying to use 1990 votes or 1990 a vote in 1991 to justify what you know current borders. That's not a good argument because first of all they weren't voting against reunification under Vladimir Putin. In fact, if we want to point to popular sovereignty because he's using a popular sovereignty argument and I agree that there is a Romans 13 foundation in my opinion, for choosing your sovereign government. I, I do believe that there's biblical grounds for uh, the will of the people choosing their government between two competing interests or competing governments. And the people of Crimea actively now support reunification with Russia. The people of Donetsk have been fighting the Ukrainian government for eight years, almost nine years, they support independence from Ukraine. So he's trying to use a popular sovereignty argument, but he doesn't use it consistently here. But this article gets way worse because, you know, he starts shaming you for not supporting Ukraine. In early 2022, Putin observing a shameful uh, American abandonment of Afghanistan decided that this was an opportune time to reunite Ukraine with Mother Russia by force. In other words, America's apparent weakness in withdrawing from Afghanistan was more temptation than Vlad could withstand. So let's actually revisit what Ukraine, uh, what the Russian war goals are for Ukraine, because Russia wants to annex part of Ukraine, the Russian parts. They want to demilitarize Ukraine, and they want a guarantee of Ukrainian neutrality. Those are the Russia's war goals. They're not actually, they haven't stated that they want to take over all of Ukraine and reunite 
specifically Western Ukraine, the part that borders uh, Poland, they don't, they have not expressed an interest in conquering that part. So this is saber rattling. This is neoconservative cringe, but you're here for the new uh, to debunk the uh, neoconservative cringe. And this was the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for 30 years, I believe. I believe it was a 30-year term, uh, tenure there. And he gave up his job for Russell Moore. So there's a lot of foreshadow here. I, I think Richard Land was always bad, but it gets worse. Because uh, Putin also miscalculated on the Ukrainians' will to resist. Fortunately, President Biden decided to assist Ukraine, enabling Ukrainians to this point successfully resist the Russians. Of course, if he had aided them earlier, Russia Russians might not have gambled on the invasion in the first place. So have they successfully resisted? Current recording of this video, they're getting uh, completely handled in Bakhmut, which is the most strategically uh, important front of the Ukraine war right now and it's been that way for uh quite some time the back meet front uh and i believe they did just lose a major uh battle uh again so the point that i want to make here is that this is like world war one because in, in world war ii hitler could circumvent the maginot line vladimir putin cannot circumvent the maginot line here so in their restructured invasion, because you know they've restructured it, uh, it's a lot more stable. It's a lot less. Uh, it's a lot more attritious on the Ukrainian side. It's attrition all around, but you know, typically the person going on the offensive is the one who suffers higher casualties. But they've been able to do that at a rate that bleeds out the Ukrainians at a much higher rate. Uh, and the Ukrainians have not really been able to take back territory by force. That is perhaps the biggest. Uh, that, that's how you know Ukraine can't win this war. Because they can't take territory back by force. They can get, take territory back if Russians make a coordinated or in some cases an uncoordinated retreat. Then they can capitalize. But even before they uh, retook Kershaw, they suffered high, high casualties in that campaign. And then Russia said, we're going to give up, restructure. Uh, and then they've been really just grinding the Bakhmut area, which is the most strategic area, even during the Kershaw uh, offensive. And Ukraine hasn't been able to launch offensive after offensive they don't really have the capability to launch offensive they they don't have the troops uh so at the current rate ukraine will have more guns we will keep sending them weapons but they will have fewer and fewer bodies to man them that's the current trajectory of ukraine uh meanwhile russia did a mobilization but they haven't really deployed the the mobilized troops to ukraine yet they haven't really deployed them there they deployed them uh on like their western borders like against finland uh in belarus for training and stuff like that but uh they could have a lot more boots on the ground than they currently do uh the much of the 
the war effort is being handled by groups like the Wagner Battalion, which is a paramilitary outfit that Russia has been backing for eight going going on a ninth year now. So that's the main main belligerent. Uh, one of the main belligerents in this war is the Wagner Group. So and they don't report casualties or anything like that. So we're not sure how many people they've lost, but they've been at war for nine years almost. That's the key, and they haven't won. They haven't beaten the Wagner and the Donetsk, uh, pro- you know, you can call them Russian proxies. And yes, they are Russian proxies, but they, Ukraine has not been able to beat them in nine years. They haven't been able to take territory. You know, if someone is sitting in a chair. They have no ability to kick them out of the chair and take the chair. If someone leaves the chair... Then they can sit. They can take the chair and sit down in it, but they haven't been able to take the person out of the chair. That's the problem with Ukraine's war effort. So we got some Biden praise for a bad Biden policy, uh, and then here's where he starts shaming you, the conservative, you, the Christian, who doesn't want to support Ukraine. I have been shocked and ashamed at the reaction of some conservatives who have opposed America's support for Ukrainians, criticizing President Zelensky for cracking down on freedom of speech and placing restrictions on the Russian Orthodox Church in Ukraine. The leadership of that church opposes Ukrainian resistance to the Russian invasion. And yes, these are, you know, anti-free speech policies. That's just the way it is. And then he would like to, and then he goes on to say, I would remind these conservative critics that President Lincoln suspended the writ of habeas corpus during the Civil War, and at the beginning of World War II, we threw approximately 150,000 Japanese Americans into internment camps in the wake of Pearl Harbor without any due process. Again, these are not good things. To me, and I talked about with this with John Harris. We'll, we'll talk about President Lincoln first. Then we'll talk about the example that he leaves out after we talk about the examples he uh, brings up. So Lincoln suspended habeas corpus in order to jail state politicians. That is an abuse of power. That is not what habeas corpus was uh, designed for. And I'm someone who does believe that the president has the authority to suspend it. But he misused that power, constitutionally speaking. Now, in World War II, again, it was unjustified to put the Japanese in internment camps, and it didn't really help the war effort. It's kind of a myth. We didn't need to do it, first of all. It, didn't, it wasn't constitutional, second of all. And, you know, the Japanese, like, America cracked Japan's code, like, so early into the war. Uh, we cracked our code so early that it wouldn't have made a difference had we not interned the Japanese. Like, if they are sending messages back to Japan, we would have caught that because we cracked the Japanese code. So, not not a good plan. Uh, the example he leaves out is when we jailed Americans for opposing America's involvement in World War One. That would actually be the most similar uh, example uh, to what Ukraine is doing, in my opinion, that that's the most similar analogy. Whereas American j- America jailed Americans for opposing World War One involvement, 
That was a Woodrow Wilson policy. And they were right to oppose World War I involvement. So it's interesting how he leaves out that saber-rattling abuse of power. And he calls them conservatives in quotes because he's a neocon. And he wants to, you know, talk down on us for act- because we actually understand history and foreign policy better than he does. And let's see, even vibrant democracies get pretty testy when their survival is at stake. In the wake of 9-11 attacks, our government surveilled mosque. Really? Are you kidding me, Richard Land? I, I know that the ERLC has a larger history of supporting religious liberty, liberty for Muslims than it does Christian believers. But 9-11 and you're talking about mosque surveillance and not the Patriot Act, which might have been included in the Patriot Act, but broadly speaking, the Patriot Act, you're, you're leaving that off the table. That's, that's how you know this is such crap. Uh, that's how you know Richard Land isn't on your side. The Christian Post isn't really on your side. Uh, I'm frankly be- bewildered. He's bewildered by the conservatives' criticism of President Zelensky for appearing before a joint session of Congress in a military-style fatigue fatigue dress. What? He was wearing a T-shirt, wasn't he? Do they not remember Churchill in the military jumpsuit during his visit to America in the midst of the hour of Britain's greatest peril in World War uh, World 1941, which is World War II? For me, the assistance, assistance provided to Ukraine is a matter of national honor. I pointed that out in the 2014 The Christian Post Nuclear Proliferation Ukraine and the cop on the beat. The United States formally guaranteed to protect Ukrainian sovereignty if they gave up nuclear weapons they had inherited from the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. At that point, Ukraine was the third largest nuclear power in the world based on nuclear weapons they inherited from the former Soviet Union. The Clinton administration, rightly concerned about these weapons ending up in the hands of terrorists, made it highly a high priority to urge Ukraine to give up its nuclear weapons in return for economic aid and security guarantees. The result was the Budapest Memorandum on Security Assurances, which Ukraine gave up its nukes and signed the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which is a UN treaty, and Russia, Britain, and the U.S. pledged to protect Ukraine's territorial integrity. So what happened? What happened? Well, Ukraine had a coup in 2014. I think that voids the uh, Budapest Memorandum. That's not the same government. That's not the same, you know, that, that is a new government. That would be like, and, you know, unfortunately this did happen. Like, the British agreed with the Chinese king, I believe, to give up Hong Kong. They didn't agree, they didn't make that arrangement with the People's Republic of China, the communist Maoist. They didn't agree with the Mao to the Maoists to do that, so the the deal was void, because they weren't you know the, one of the participants in the agreement was no longer in existence, and likewise the same thing here. They had a coup in 2014 that overthrew a legitimately elected president of Ukraine, and you expect this agreement to still stand? I don't think it does. I think it's void when that happens. 
Does the United States want to further destabilize the world in order by once again going back on our word or failing to keep our word to other countries? If the answer is yes, think about what that would do for all our other commitments to allies around the world. If we allow Russia to succeed in this aggression, the world will become a much more dangerous place as naked aggression is rewarded. Would it, though? I think risking World War III over Ukraine is actually far more dangerous than letting Ukraine fall to Russia. What has Ukraine ever done for the United States? Been a hotbed, a hotbed for American corruption here? Been a proxy for the World Economic Forum? What have they done for us? The answer is nothing except fuel the corruption here. That's what Ukraine has done. It is a corrupt nation that has corrupted, that has been the piggy bank, the money laundering piggy bank for American politicians, Democrat and Republican. Let them fall. We are actually better off if Ukraine is no longer the money laundering corruption uh, kleptocracy that it was. We are better off that that no longer is on the map. Let's put America first. But wait, there's more. Furthermore, let's clearly understand what would be happening in Ukraine if, absent American and Western military aid, the, mush, the Russian mil, Russians had prevailed militarily. And this is where we get into fantasy land. Based on Russians' behavior in the areas of Ukraine they have occupied, the picture is not pretty. There has been a mass rape of Ukrainian women in occupied territories, uh, the New York Times reported Ukrainian women who have been raped repeatedly saying that Russian soldiers told them that they wanted to sexually assault the Ukrainian women so repeatedly that these women would never be want to be intimate with any man again, resulting in fewer Ukrainian babies. Does that sound accurate? Like that that's just some wartime propaganda there, like that, that's what the Soviets said about the Germans. That's what the Germans said about the Soviets. That's Come on. Come on. I don't buy that for a second. I, I think that's fake news. Wartime propaganda. Uh, second, based on mass graves and makeshift t torture chambers and covered in occupied areas of Ukraine that have been liberated, uh, we would have concentration camps all across Ukraine with execution of Ukraine's per political and cultural leaders. Okay, what about the areas that are in Donetsk? Do they have concentration camps in Donetsk? Do they have concentration camps in Crimea? Uh, they have concentration camps in Australia. Didn't they, don't they also have concentration camps in Canada? And they do in China as well. Third, Ukrainian language would be banned in every area of society. That's kind of odd, isn't it? Because Ukraine actually passed a language law I believe this was in 2019, or it was around the time Zelensky took over. They had a language law that pretty much bans, uh, if you operated a radio station in a different language other than Ukrainian, doesn't matter whether it's Russian or English, you would be heavily fined or the government would crack down on that. Same with uh, handing out literature, publishing books, uh, newspapers, stuff like that. So Ukraine actually has a language law that you know, is aimed at culturally genociding the Russian culture and language, as well as an ethnic group. They want to culturally genocide them out of the culture. Uh, fourth, and that, that's one of the reasons why there are a bunch of 
ethnically Russian or ethnic or Russian speaking Ukrainians that are pro Russia in this war. Fourth, approximately 150,000 Ukrainian children have already been kidnapped by Russians and sent to Russia to be raised by Russian parents. If Russia is ultimately triumphant in this conflict, several hundred thousand more Ukrainian families will have their children kidnapped and sent to Russia for adoption. Interesting point. There's a couple truths and a couple not truths to this. First of all, when Russia took over territories, they evacuated civilian populations. This was very true in Kershaw. Obviously, not everyone stayed, not everyone or left, I should say, but they evacuated children from war zones. Uh, and a lot of civilians got to leave the war zones as well. That, that was especially true in Kershaw. So I don't know how much that is true. Again, I don't buy the Ukrainian propaganda. It's worth noting that Russia is in the midst of a demographic meltdown, them and the rest of Europe. According to the demographer and economist Peter Zahan, uh, and he has a book, uh, Zahan explains that the one reason that Putin invaded Russia now was to give their horrific demographics in a decade he would not have enough potential soldiers uh, to invade. So, some truth to demographics Demography is history, is or is the future. That's been a Republican talking point as it relates to Hispanic vote. Uh, do the Russians have any of that going on? Sure. Uh, keep in mind, second to the United States, people immigrate to Russia. They're, they're like the second biggest immigrant draw nation in the world. At least that was true at one point in time. I don't know if that's still true, but a lot of people immigrate to Russia. They're second to the United States in that regard. So, furthermore, how does anyone think that if Putin is successful in Ukraine, he will stop there? He will continue his aggression until he is stopped. If Putin is allowed to succeed, NATO will unravel as the nations of Europe, no longer able to trust the United States, will seek their own accommodation with Putin. And again, I must raise the question, what has NATO ever done for the United States? Like, let's do, let's actually phase NATO out in uh, post Fall the Soviet Union, NATO. Okay, they joined us in the invasion of Afghanistan. Big deal. Uh, historically speaking, we didn't actually need to invade Afghanistan. Bin Laden was hiding in Pakistan, who we gave a lot of money to. Pakistan, that is, not Bin Laden. But although Bin Laden, you know, if you go back in history, he was CIA. Uh... And this is just uh, someone who doesn't know how to upgrade their operating system when it relates to history. If we allow Putin to succeed in Ukraine, the world will quickly become a far more dangerous and barbarous place. Dictatorial fellow travelers in China and Iran will be emboldened to act in ever more barbarous ways as well. And in Ukraine, America and the West have found a real country in every sense, to help defend, not merely aspiring countries like Iraq and Afghanistan. Again, invasion of Iraq, not a good idea. And America lied and destabilized an entire country over the lie that there was yellow cake uranium and a nuclear program going on in Iraq. We lied about that, or the government lied about that. We, America lied to the whole world about that. What is he saying? Like, if anything, America is actually the force 
and, you know, Israel as well, are the forces that are destabilizing the world. If you look at the Middle East, the Arab Spring, specifically, I've done a lot of research on the Syrian Civil War, and the Syrian Civil War, you know, the Russians were actually stabilizing the region. The Russians were actually fighting ISIS, whereas America pretty much created ISIS. It's, it's pretty odd that a paramilitary just upstarts and takes over swathes of territory in Syria, and then they invaded Iraq. And it was Ru the Russians who helped negotiate a peace in that region because, you know, Turkey had their own motives and the Kurds and the Syrians and a lot of groups there. But it was the Americans who destabilized Syria. It was the Americans who helped destabilize Libya and Egypt and Iraq and Afghanistan. The Americans did that, not the Russians. The Russians didn't destabilize the Middle East. So, what world is Richard Land living in? Not a world where you study history. But again, like I said in the beginning of the video, he's World Economic Forum. The Ukrainians are not asking for anyone to fight for them. Actually, they are. They are fighting quite bravely and well for their own freedom. No, they're not. Uh, they are fighting to join the European Union. They are fighting to join NATO. Neither of those are acts of freedom. You lose your sovereignty when you join the European Union. That's part of the deal. They are not asking us to fight. Yes, they are. They want American boots on that ground. All they are asking for us, or from us, are the weapons with which to fight. And how do they expect to pay for those? Oh, we're supposed to pay for those. Keep in mind, Ukraine has, it's a lend-lease program, so to speak. And we've lent a bunch of money to them. Other nations have lent a bunch of money to them, which is inflationary, by the way. You, you, you know, the European... Union is collapsing its economies by loaning endless money to Ukraine because that's inflationary. That's inflationary lending. And that works for the United States as well. Our inflation is driven by congressional spending. And he has a point to make about fiscal policy here in a second. But how, first of all, a, a, number, a number of things are true here. They want weapons, yes. NATO countries are depleting their entire arsenals to, to prop up Ukraine. And so when we act like this, this is World War III. And it could get hotter. But Ukraine is not worth fighting World War III over. We do not want to be on the side of the Germans in a world war, but that's what we are on. We don't want to be on the German side in the world war. They lose every single time. The shameful argument that some conservatives are making is that all this is costing us too much financially to aid the Ukrainians. It would be far more costly not to do something. Again, that's a lie. If we do nothing, nothing happens. 
Ukraine falls. Big deal. I don't care. If you wanted Americans to have the stomach for war, you shouldn't have been in Afghanistan for 20 years. You shouldn't have lied about Iraq. If you wanted Americans to have the stomach for a foreign conflict, you shouldn't have lied about the last two. And you shouldn't have you know, destabilized Libya. You shouldn't have destabilized Syria. There's a credibility issue here, and it's with the American government. This is costing us too much because not only are we spending the money, we're printing the money. And it's not working. The Ukrainians aren't winning. More people will die from us propping up a paper state, a paper army that is, or maybe not paper, but as soon as the weapons run out, they will fold. Or what the other option is, as soon as the bodies run out, they will fold. Which one's going to happen first? Do more people have to die in order for Ukraine to come to the peace table and accept a peace deal that they could have gotten in February of 2022? They could have gotten a peace deal, probably the same peace deal that this war will end with, Ukrainian neutrality, annexation of certain territories, and uh, and I already said neutrality and a demilitarization, but the demilitarization looks like it'll happen because Ukraine's military is just going to get destroyed uh, incrementally over the time of this war. Now, I think this war is going to last at least another year. But one of these things is true. The Ukrainians will either run out of weapons or they will run out of bodies. They cannot outlast Russia in either category. Because the Russians can just buy cheap little, or not buy, actually I believe the way that it works is they get these drones, these Iranian drones that are manufactured in Russia and uh, shipped on the front. They're cheap. Uh, and they can just keep doing that. And they have more bodies. Doesn't matter how many New York Times articles are written out there. We are propping up a nation that cannot win. A nation that is in our best interest if it doesn't win. Because again, Ukraine is the hotbed of corruption in the United States. That is where the, all the corruptocrats go. Is Ukraine. It actually benefits our enemies here domestically if Ukraine falls. And it, if they surrendered right now, that would probably be the best human, uh, uh, as far as human uh, humanitarian crisis goes in mitigating that, if they surrendered right now. The shameful argument that some conservatives are making that it would cost too much. And he wants to make the argument that it would cost us more not to. Th that is a sunk cost fallacy. Plus, if you give any fair-minded person 24 hours with the federal budget, they could find enough waste to arm Ukraine for years to come. That is the waste. The Ukrainian aid is the waste. The, foreign, the Israeli aid is the waste, because I'll go there well. The Pakistani aid for gender studies 
is the waste. The Kennedy Center is the waste. This guy hates our country. The world of freedom-loving nations, of which the European nations are not among, let's be real here, Canada is not a freedom-loving nation. Australia and New Zealand are not freedom-loving nations. Should draw inspiration and resolve from our incredibly brave compatriots, the Ukrainians. I proudly wear a Ukrainian lapel at every day, every day as an act of solidarity. Such bravery should never be abandoned, but wholeheartedly supported. Richard Land has always been a bad guy. He counseled some people to get an abortion as a result of a car accident. Uh, he's proposed compromise on the issue of homosexuality for years and years. Uh, he attacked Ukraine, uh, Uganda for doing what a policy that we would call Christian nationalism today, actually. He's shilling for Ukraine shamelessly acting like our freedom is on the line here. It's not. It wasn't in World War I. Uh, America could have avoided World War II. That's a red pill. Uh, it wasn't in our interest to defend China or uh, embargo Japan. It wasn't in our interest to do that. And we can easily avoid this conflict. We can avoid World War III. And I hope the Republican Congress puts the kibosh on all this funding. I would want nothing more than to see that. At least out of this Congress. Because I don't think we'll get much out of Congress. But if we can defund Ukraine. That'd be epic. Let's put America first. And let, let's get these people. Who are neocons. And have the, kick them out of Christian publications. Christian Post needs to fire Richard Land. Because he sucks at his job. He is an enemy in the church. And he's wrong on too many issues that are important. And he's a waste of space. Send him back to the World Economic Forum where he belongs. My name is Ray. This is the Evangelical Dark Web. If you like this kind of content, subscribe. And have a blessed day. We will catch you on the next one.